Mindfulness Mode 320. I have to be strong. For my child, I have to be strong and keep going. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. If you're returning, welcome back, everybody. Good to good to have you with us, friends. And if you're new, awesome to have you here as a first-time listener. And if you like it, please share out the episode. Please tell your friends and and put it on social media if that's something you like to do. And speaking of social media, last time I mentioned I'm looking for help with my social media. And guess what? I received a reply. Thank you, listener, so much. But maybe you haven't had a chance to reply and you're thinking, yeah, I could help Bruce with social media on Mindfulness Mode. Please reach out. Bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Send me an email. That'd be great. And hey, guess what else? I'm always encouraging you, Mindful Tribe, to send me messages. And I did get a message from Brooke. Brooke Ledbetter sent me a message. She said, hello, Bruce. I'm a new listener and already a huge fan. I share your podcast with all of my clients and friends, along with all my, my media pages. But in capital letters. I didn't want to email you until I had something really good to say. Episode 310 surprised me so much because I'm not a photographer and I was just going to pass over that episode. Somehow I was brought back and decided to just let it play and be mindful. Smile. I got so much education that I didn't think I wanted And I was brought to tears by Andrew and his kind words. Thank you for what you're doing for this world. And you may not know this, Mindful Tribe, but when I get letters like this, so often I send out random, like, bling, like t-shirts or mugs or whatever to people. And so I sent her a quick message back and said, hey, would you like a t-shirt, Brooke? And she said, yeah, I'd love it. So she's going to be sporting a Mindfulness Mode t-shirt in Texas, which is a place I love. And yeah, so send me a message, share out the episode, share out the podcast if you can, anywhere, everywhere. Send me a message at Bruce at MindfulnessMode.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I am excited about today's episode. It was recorded quite a while ago, and I had some technical problems and had to have this, this episode fixed up. But here it is, and it's about abduction, a very serious topic of abduction and how mindfulness can help you through it. And I think you're going to going to really benefit from this. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the author, Marie White. Marie, are you in mindfulness mode today? I think I am, Bruce. That's good. Well, it's very, very wonderful to have you with us, and I enjoyed meeting you at the New Media Summit in San Diego a few weeks ago. And today, I have the pleasure and opportunity to speak with you, so it's a real honor. But I want to share first a little bit about yourself with Mindful Tribe. Marie White is an entrepreneur. She's a world traveler. She's a missionary. And she's a YouTube host with over half a million views is pretty remarkable. She is the owner of Zemiz Press, which is an inspirational publishing company that offers hope and encouragement to people the world over who are experiencing struggles. 
Marie is also the author of five books, including the award-winning number one bestseller, Strength for Parents of Missing Children. That's giving you a clue as to Marie's story, and I won't give it away, but uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you, Marie, about your whole entire story. So first of all, yes, what does mindfulness mean to you, Marie? Well, really, it means to focus on the positive in the moment. And if you don't know what the positive is in your life, then you have to go and find it. And sometimes it takes a long time to find it. How do you suggest a person go about and find it if they're like, oh, I just really don't know what is the most positive thing in my life? How do, the, how do they approach it? Well, that's one of the things I like to cover, especially with families that are going through something like what we've gone through. And that is to begin with the simple, which is to make a list of the things that you are thankful for that day. Um, I'd like you to continue it and, and write a list of things you're thankful for in your life, because as it turns out, most of us don't realize all the, the wonderful things we have. I mean, we hear things on social media and they're saying, you know, well, if you, you know, if you grew up and you, you have a house, you know, roof over your head, then you're in the top, you know, whatever percent or 1% mm -hmm. of the world or something like that. And there are so many things we take for granted. And I know just in what we've experienced, knowing that, you know, we have an extended family, not only our own family, but an extended family who cares about us and that we have a relationship with that is really good is something that a lot of people don't have. So there are a lot of things out there that people re don't realize they have that no one else has. And you have a story to share with us today. Could you tell us what happened? What's your story? Well, a little over three years ago, our toddler was abducted. And how old was he at the time? Three. And has not been returned home. Has not been returned no. home. Tell us about that day, Marie. <sighs> Some moments in your life are life-changing. We like to think of more of the positive moments than the negative. But obviously for us and our family in that moment of our life was life-changing in a negative way. And I, it's not like what you see in the movies. You know, you see in the movie when somebody, you know, their child gets, you know, kidnapped or, or whatever, and they fall to the floor in their arms, you know, oh, why, why? And they're sobbing. It actually doesn't happen like that. For in real life, when that happens to a family, it's what do we do now? Who do we call? Do we call the police? Do we call a detect private detective? You know, who do, do we call an attorney? What is, what is it that we call? What is it that we do? What is our next step? And so really you are in fight or flight mode in that moment. And that's where we were for a long period of time. There is no coming down. Did you somehow use mindfulness as a way to get through this terrible experience? Yes, we did. So it's just been... And those are, that's part of, as you talked about in some of your other um, interviews, you know, being mindful is in focusing on the moment. And for us, part of that is not going back to that place of when that happened and reliving that moment over and over and over again, because it would drive us insane if that's what we focused on. So instead, we focus on the moment now and continuing on so that we can still be here when our child does come home. Marie, how can you accomplish things in your day-to-day -day life when this is hanging over your head? I just have to ask that. Well, it's impossible, so um, <laughs> I don't know how we accomplish it either. Um, really, it's 
It's again about focusing on the positive, remembering that we have had three and a half years with our child that were great, um, that our child did have that foundation before all of this happened. And whatever is happening to them at the moment, they still have that foundation to fall back on. And then to go, okay, there are people beyond us. And this is something that anybody going through any type of trauma and hard event in life needs to remember. They need to be mindful of the fact there are other people going through terrible things. And when you focus on helping other people, it changes who you are. Marie, as you look back, I'm curious, do you feel as though you had been doing everything possible to keep your children safe? We were, which is the unbelievable part. Um, I think because we had been um, in the past, I'd been foster parents for so long and had taken in so many traumatized children, there was an element of expertise that we had so that when this trauma came to us, we were able to go, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what's happening in our minds. This is what's happening in our bodies to be able to be a step ahead of deteriorating in that moment. And in fact, one thing that that I think is really interesting and, and your viewers might enjoy or your listeners might enjoy hearing is that it took me three days to realize why I wanted to vomit, which is, you know, elegant and great to say in public, but, but it was one of those things where the trauma was so severe that everything in me was screaming and mentally and inside, you know, just, I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't eat. And after three days, I just felt like, oh my gosh, I just, I keep, I keep wanting to vomit. I can't do that. I can't feel that. I can't express that. I can't let that out because I have to be strong for my child. I have to be strong and keep going. And it took again, because of the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, they're pumping through your body. You don't even realize how much you can't think in that moment. And I finally realized, wait a minute, this is a big deal. This is a traumatic event. It's okay not to be okay right now. So of all the emotions you were experiencing, what was the one most dominant emotion? Uh, fear. Fear, for sure. I mean, just that's what I had to start learning how to not think on what was happening to my child. Because one, it wasn't going to change anything. Imagining what could be happening was not going to change anything. And the bottom line is, I don't know what was happening. So... I could be imagining worse things that were happening. Why would I do that to myself? And if that was only going to make me more stressed and uh, less able to do what I needed to do to keep trying to find our child, then for their benefit, I had to be in a good place so I could keep fighting. Did you have others there helping you through this at this time? Yes, yes. My husband and two other children. And what were some of the ways that they helped you through this? Well, you know... Each person in a family is different. <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. And even within um, our other two children uh, who were teenagers at the time, just one personality is your extrovert talks a lot and the other personality is your introvert and who doesn't express emotions as, as readily. And then, of course, my husband and I are complete opposites. So we all handled things differently and we had to find a way to be in the same house, go through the same emotions, but at different times. So I might be in a weepy mood at a time when my husband is doing better at handling it and I don't want to bring him down from that moment. Oh, sure. You know, or the kids, you know, how much do we talk with the one who doesn't want to talk and how much do we, you know, talk in front of the one who does want to talk and just, I, oh my goodness, it was a, 
whole conundrum of how to work that system out. Sounds like your husband was totally supportive of you through all of this. He was actually. I think I think he was most supportive because I wasn't going to tell um, the exact story. And that is is really tough. It actually makes it um, tough to do what I'm doing in that because it's still an active case, there are parts of the story I can't discuss because it can put our child in danger. And so I have to help other people and promote this product that helps other people. The book that, you know, walks people through this because we had no guidebook and they didn't either until this came out without giving too much information that law enforcement and that people that have our children, our child would use against us. You know, if you're sometimes if you're too vocal, I see, you know, parents on the news and they're they're pleading for their child's return. And I'm thinking your child was taken by a sociopath. And you're pleading with them on TV. Your child is pleading to come home and that's not effective. But you think this is going to work. It's just the psychology behind it is absolutely mind boggling. And it seems to me there are so many other people out there who can really benefit from what you share in your book and how to deal with losing a loved one. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, too, what we don't realize is that in our country and all over the world, but particularly in our country, we see a lot of families that are going through parental alienation from a bad divorce and one parent is being kept from the other, keeping the children from the other parent. And so we're seeing that everywhere. It's in Hollywood, it's on TV, it's in your neighborhood. It's people you don't even realize are going through this. They have a child or grandchild that they are not able to see and have not seen for years that are being kept from them. And they're terrified to say anything. They think people will not understand. And that's hitting, I would say, probably 80% of your listeners have some kind of attachment to that, some child or grandchild they are not having access to. 80%. 80%. I never thought it would be so high. Who who knew? And, And the people had no resource. There was nothing for us or for anyone else to help them understand that they're not alone and they didn't cause it. For most people, they didn't cause it. It's usually a mental illness of another person that does this. Well, it's so easy. Self-blame is is what we do. Self-bullying. Yeah. We immediately, oh, oh my gosh, this must be my fault because, and then we create this whole story. Did you create a story around that? I wanted to, but I, I never could. I kept thinking back. I'm like, was there something that could have been different? Was there something that, you know, I could have changed? And there wasn't anything. And that allowed me to then walk other people through, you are not to blame for this. You know, when when your husband left you and then, you know, six months later came to get the child for his, you know, you know, two week um, visitation or something like that and didn't come back with them, that was not your fault. Did you ever have any glimmers of hope uh, that you were getting your child back? Yes. Yes. And that, again, is part of, you know, why we're careful is because this this eventually is going to be the story that breaks. That is the big story of our child coming home. And we are, you know, we get clues and things like that. Uh, In the book, I talk with another family who did get their child back, uh, several families that did. And, you know, they would say things like, well, you get a a message on Facebook, some friend of a friend of a friend with a picture of your child in it. And you're like, they're still there. They're still alive. They're still, they can be found and private detectives are going after them. And, you know, a month behind every place that they are, that kind of thing happens. And so you do know that there is going to be a good ending coming 
98% of missing children come home. 98%. Is that right? How old is your child now, Marie? Six. He's six. 98% of the missing children come home. But at the same time, one parent per day is taking their own life because they can't handle the fear and the um, stress and the worry from not having their child. So if you do the math, 98% of children come home and yet one parent per day is, is killing themselves. And that means children are coming home to empty houses. And that's one parent per day globally? Uh, no, in the U.S. In the U.S., one parent per day. That is just heart-wrenching. It is, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'd like to hear more about your book. What is The Slant? How are you helping people? Well, the book is called Strength for Parents of Missing Children, Surviving Divorce, Abduction, Runaways, and Foster Care, because anyone going through any of those things is going through the same emotions. Um, we're seeing a number of uh, an uptick in the number of medical kidnappings, like the little baby Charlie Guard that was in Europe that was born and then you know medically the government took over his care. Right. Mom and dad couldn't even take him home. That was a medical kidnapping by the country. Um, and that happens in the U.S. a lot. People go in, their child is diagnosed with cancer. They say, well, okay, well, we want to do chemo. The parents say, oh, I'd like to get a second opinion. And the government comes and takes their child. That's happening here. Is it? So oh. those things are happening all over the place. So we've got you know, a number of different ways people are losing their children. And we also, the audible narrator for the book, when, uh, when she was um, recording it, contacted me off of Audible on my website, stopped recording to tell me, I wanted to let you know that I auditioned for this book because I have two adult drug addicted children and everything you write about in this book applies to me. Isn't that something? I would never have thought that because they feel like they lost their children then. Yes, because they're missing for okay. weeks, months, or years at a time, and they're going through the same blame game and not taking care of themselves as a parent. The stress, the worry, the PTSD, the complex PTSD that's happening, they're going through the same emotions. And all of a sudden, they're going, wow, this book is for us too. That makes sense. There would be a tremendous amount of self-blame. What did I do wrong when I was raising my child that they ended up being a drug addict? I didn't think of it yes. that way. Absolutely. So it's really... It's become this broader message. The beginning of the book, the book is in three parts. The beginning of the book um, walks you through, you know, basically taking you through the emotions of what we went through from day one to, you know, the ending of writing the book. Obviously, I'm still not writing it. Um, and then at, after that comes part two, where we do the stories of hope, where different families with different similar experiences, but completely different, you know, a divorce or a parental abduction, a grandparent that, you know, lost the child, that sort of thing. Um, they tell their stories of hope and reunification. So that gives hope to the families. And then I interviewed five of the top experts in the, in the field of uh, missing children. So we've got a private detective that they're doing movies on right now. Um, they're making a movie with the same people that made the Mark Wahlberg movies. His name is um, Logan Clark, and he tells the stories of how he went all over the world and rescued missing children from drug cartels, the, the sex slave industry, and parental abductions. We have also have a, a, an expert on there who talks about what it's like when you reunify, and just a number of people explaining what it's like. So you not only have a first-person account, you also have experts to walk you through the process. Marie, could you share with us a story of hope that you could recount that is probably going into the book? Um, one that's, that is in the book is, um, and actually is on the, the back cover of the book, is the story um, 
from um, Brett Hohenberger, and he has been all over the news and everything like that. His uh, story is that he was having breakfast with his two sons one morning when all of a sudden there was pounding at the door, and police banged open the door, came in, and put him in handcuffs and pushed his two sons toward the mother who did not have custody of them. They had gotten a call from her. She had said, you know, he's abusive. Come, you know, rescue my kids from, from him. They, of course, not knowing any better, the, the police went there, um, hand the children to her. She takes the kids and she leaves the country. And so begins a wild goose chase of trying to get him out of jail where he's there for two weeks before the judge and the police figure out what exactly is going on. Then, of course, they find him innocent, but he's just lost two weeks of work, of his sons, everything. It takes... 295 days before the police um, will identify his children as missing children. Wow. So for 295 days, he does not know where they are. They are with someone who cannot be trusted and they are gone. And then he gets introduced to a man called Logan Clark, which is the private detective in the book. And he goes after this mom and the children and for months and months and months, they search, they find that, you know, get little hints from Facebook and from other things, uh, medications that are fulfilled, that sort of thing, and find the children and go and rescue them. That sounds like an amazing story. It is an amazing story. There's more details. I can't remember all of them, but they are in the book. <laughs> right. So your book is out and has been doing very well, right? It's already been a bestseller on Amazon and it just won a literary award. Okay. And did you go to receive that award? Uh, I did not. They sent it to me. Right. So how did that feel when you received a literary award for your book? Oh, it was, I was already getting a lot of emails and, and uh, feedback from people reading it saying how it was changing their life. But that was just a validation that I, I so appreciated because I know people looking for this sort of resource will now know that it's, um, that it's something special and worthy of reading. Of course. I always ask a question about bullying. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference, Marie? That's an excellent question that I should have been prepared for because I have listened to your podcast <laughs> so many times. Um, yeah, I think so. I think uh, all of our children have come to us through adoption. And Sometimes I think people say bullying or abusive things, not realizing that they're doing it. And so when you're asked a question about your children or they make a comment that makes you sound like you're not as good of a parent or as worthy of a parent, uh, I had to be mindful in that moment that they don't mean what they're saying. That so often we say things that we don't realize the impact they have on other people. And it's been great to know that in those times where I have taken the higher road and remembered that there's more to people than the words that come out of their mouth, in the end, I have learned who their heart is, you know, what their heart is, and found out that they really didn't mean what they said. Right. Sometimes if you can just look at it that way, that, you know, this person really doesn't know or understand what they're doing. And yeah. it does change the perspective. I know that I have four brothers and then uh, my parents decided to adopt two girls. And they said to us, you know, just accept these children as our own. You know, they just had this little talk with us and just think of them as your own sisters. It's really no different. And 
Then I remember going to school a few days later, somebody said, oh, adopted. Well, they're adopted. Oh, well, they're not really your own family then, are they? And I said, yes, they are. They really are. But this person kept on and on and on. Well, they're not really. They're not really, you know, and then it made me really think because I had just completely accepted what my parents said. And then this person kept pounding it in, pounding it in. These aren't truly your sisters. And I I never really thought of it the way you just described that, you know, that person, for whatever reason he had for saying that, he had reasons. But we don't know what they were. But, you know, it, it's amazing how some of these dynamics can really affect us sometimes. Yes. Yes. And not understanding what other people are going through. A lot of the people that are bullies um, that we, you know, experience as we're growing up are, are hurting themselves. Can you share some feedback you've received from your book by someone who is going through some d- difficult times? Um, yeah, there's, I, oh my goodness, so many things. One, I, I do get a lot of feedback from people saying, you know, you should put more of the, you know, more emotional impact in there. And I, I wish I would have, you know, cried more. And I'm like, but those people who say that are not the people living through it. Okay. The people living through it write in and go, um, you know, the first chapter was really hard for me to get through. And then I'll say, well, we'll skip to the second chapter because the first chapter is the only one that really um, affects people going through it in that same way. Um, but what's been great is that the feedback has been, I cried for two hours after reading it, not because I was sad, but because someone finally understood what I was going through. Someone finally validated what I'm going through. Um, psychologists and doctors and um, professors from colleges are writing in and saying, this helps us to understand grief in a way we never could have before because I'm very open about each of those things so that people living through it will understand that their feelings are normal. And people write in saying that I took my first vacation in 20 years because you finally gave me permission to take care of myself while going through this. Now you had written books before you wrote that book, correct? That is correct. So you were already an accomplished author, and that must have made a big difference because I'm sure that the tendency might have been that you just wanted to pour out your own feelings onto those pages. Was that the tendency? Was that what you felt? It absolutely can be. It it was a tough one for me, again, because we're in a position where we have to be careful. I had to remember what it was like to go back to day one and think, what would I have wanted to hear? What would I have needed to hear on day one so that I could get to day two? And so that's been interesting. People often ask me, um, was it therapeutic for you to write? And I just want to scream at them, no, (laughs) it was not therapeutic to write. I'm sure it was at the long run. But in the interim, while I was doing it, it was horrible. I would sob for hours while I was typing because I had to go back to day one remember the thoughts, the feelings, pull up old emails and notes and journal entries and be able to say, okay, on day one, what did I need? And what can I now give somebody else on day one? And, you know, three weeks in and seven months in and two years in, what did I need to hear that the next person needs to hear? Right. Hmm. Well, you're a YouTube, uh, you have a YouTube channel and you've been very successful with that. Tell us about your channel and the kinds of videos you put up. 
Well, I put up the most uncool, unsexy, unviral videos you could ever think of, and yet they're doing really well, which is absolutely crazy. A couple months into our child being gone, I really I was just in the shower and just praying and just saying, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do with this pain? You know, you have allowed this for a reason. Tell me what it is and I will use it, but you have to guide me on what to do with this. And an idea that I had had, again, in the shower, I mean, when you have young children, the shower is your only time during the day yes. to think. Yes. And then once you hop out of the shower, you're like, I have no idea what I was thinking about in there, but I have given the most incredible speeches in there. Let me tell you, if we recorded <laughs> while we were in the shower, I think all of us would be millionaires by now. But one of the ideas I'd had was to do a YouTube channel called Bible Stories for Adults and take new adult Christians through the stories of the Bible in little short two to four minute videos. And I did that with 110 stories from the Bible so that anyone would have a familiarity with it or anybody who needed to hear about a particular story could go find it. And that took off. I started about three months after our child was taken and I told nobody, hoping that you know if, if it did not go well, no one would know I completely failed. And now, you know, half a million viewers later, it is just this amazing thing. And I get people that comment in from England and from Japan and from all over the world who watch it. Beautiful. And do you still add videos to it? I do. Not um, stories from the Bible, because I've already covered all of those. But, you know, sometimes, you know, just an antidote or a testimony or something like that. That's excellent. And you're a missionary. Tell us about that. Well, that was another, you know, one of the tricks that I teach in the, in the book is to have uh, a podcast or an audio book or something playing all the time in at least one year while you're trying to survive the first year, because otherwise your mind will go all kinds of places it doesn't need to go. And part of being mindful is remembering to focus on the moment. And what you have to do is distract the other part of your mind that wants to go elsewhere. And so what I did is I had a podcast playing uh, in the shower <laughs> and I was like, again, you know, Lord, please, you know, tell me what you want me to do with this. I had already done the videos and I found out that they needed um, on the podcast, they're saying they needed online missionaries they needed people that could contact or be in contact with people that were writing in from all over the world who were new Christians and wanted to talk about their faith or wanted to come to faith and wanted just to talk with somebody. And uh, it was a non-denominational Christian organization. I signed up and went through their vetting process and their training and their background checks and everything and became a missionary with them. And now I talk with people from Myanmar and Iran and all over the globe. That is really fascinating. So you don't travel anywhere to do it. You do it over the internet. Yes. But you are a world traveler as well. Were you a yeah. world traveler? Have you been for years? or? A little bit, but it has really amped up since this has happened. I mean, part of being mindful and intentional is looking to see what it is that is around you that you have never had time to look at before. And it has taken me to the top of um, Haleakala Volcano in uh, Hawaii, in Maui. I have gone through rainforests, across deserts. I've been in different countries and all over the place as opportunities have presented themselves for me to go and be the person I have always wanted to be. So fascinating. And you truly sound mindful. You seem like you do that. Do you meditate? Is that part of your life? 
I don't, but um, a lot of a lot of people um, consider prayer meditation. So in that case, yes. <laughs> well, many do, and I know that when I used to go to Sunday school, my grandfather was the superintendent of the Sunday school, and he talked about meditation all the time back then, and it was prayer. It was, yes. it was prayer, but I totally believe prayer can be an active part of meditation for sure. Absolutely. Marie, I have five quick answer questions. So if okay. you could just answer in 30 seconds. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Um, I would say Rick Warren with The Purpose Driven Life really focuses you to know your purpose. For sure. And how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Marie? It's helped to keep me from going from one extreme to the other. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Breathing is really helpful if you want to live. So <laughs> <laughs> totally is. It's that useful to do every day. Uh, it's necessary to bring down your emotions when you are in a heightened state of stress. And do you have a specific way of doing that with your breathing? Uh, in through the nose, out through the mouth, very slow taking a moment and concentrating. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? There are a couple. And right now, I cannot remember the name of either of them. The two of them in particular, I can picture their covers. One is blue and white. And one is yellow. That's about as close as I can get for you right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, of course, you're... I need to read them more often. <laughs> My mind is not being mindful. Of course, your book, Strength for Parents of Missing Children, I'm sure there are a lot of mindful elements in your book. Would you agree? There are. And I will certainly put all this information into our show notes. Do you use an app which helps you to be more mindful? I don't. Is there one out there I should be aware of? There are a number of apps. Some of them are productivity type apps that kind of keep you on track or remind you to take a break every 30 minutes, that kind of thing. Sometimes people enjoy breathing apps or they enjoy meditative type of apps like Insight Timer where you can go on and whether you're praying or meditating, just knowing that so many other people on the planet are doing it at the same time can be inspiring to some people. That's great. I'll have to check those out. And I will send you um, the information on the two books um, afterwards. You can put them on your show notes. Okay. That sounds great. (laughs) That sounds great. Well, can you tell us, Marie, how can we reach out to you and communicate with you and learn more about what you're doing? Well, your listeners can reach out to me at mariewhiteauthor.com. That's mariewhiteauthor.com. And if they do, they can go check out a free copy of Changing Your Life in Just 10 Days, which I will have available for them on there. Well, that's excellent. Thank you for that free copy. Terrific. Well, thank you also for being on Mindfulness Mode. I really appreciate it. And you have a, a terrific rest of your day, Marie. Thank you. I appreciate it. You take care, Bruce. Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. 
Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.